spooky. Yep. Well, good morning and thanks for coming today. It's good to see everybody here. Um, I just I haven't been feeling very well this morning, so you have to excuse me. I don't know. I woke up this morning feeling a little bit dizzy. I don't know. It's kind of weird, but anyhow. Let's open our Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews. That's the book of Hebrews. And we'll be looking at Hebrews chapter 7. If you've ever read the book of Hebrews, you'll notice that the word better is mentioned quite a few times. Everything's better in Hebrews. And uh, everything is um, superior. It tries to um, uh, reveal the superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ and how great he truly is. But I'd like to just read one verse for you from this, and that is in verse, that is verse um, chapter 7, verse 25. And it says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this wonderful passage of scripture in Hebrews. And Lord, you are so gracious and merciful to us. We thank you for your love for us. And the Lord, you have provided a sacrifice for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. pray that, Lord, you just help me, give me strength today, Lord. I pray that, Lord... Uh, this message might be a blessing not to only those that are here, but also to those that are outside watching. Pray that, Lord, you'd just bless and encourage. We love you, Lord, and thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sorry, a bit, like I said, I'm feeling a bit weird today. It's kind of odd. But uh, anyway, when we see a verse like this, um, where it says, Wherefore he is able to say them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever lived to make intercession for them. That first word there says wherefore. When you oh, see a wherefore, you want to know what it's there for. <laughs> so the therefore, what's the therefore therefore and what's the wherefore therefore? So um, what I want to just mention is uh, just a little bit about why that wherefore is there. Um, if we read a bit further um, back, we'll see in chapter 6, it says, um, <clears throat> whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And it says in chapter 1, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. So this Melchizedek, um, that word Melchizedek means king of righteousness, and it's mentioned only twice in the Old Testament. Um, in Genesis chapter 14, uh, f- uh, z- f- uh, f- chapter 14, verse 17 through 20. If you want to turn there, we can go and have a look and see where, where um, Melchizedek and where he, he uh, is mentioned. That's in Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14. And verse, well, he wasn't. Well, the Jews, the Hebrews, started uh, with Abraham. Yeah, but Melchizedek was um, was somebody who. Well, we'll look at it now, and we'll see. 
And this is here um, in verse 17. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Kedalaama and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Shaveh, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine and was, with, was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham, Abraham of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which he hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And he gave him tithes of all. It's quite interesting this, that Melchizedek um, is a, a person that appeared quickly and he was gone just as quick as he appeared. Um, there have been many um, uh, thoughts of who, to, who he was. Some uh, uh, Jewish uh, people say that he was Shem, um, you know, the uh, son of uh, Noah. Others say that um, it was a pre-incarnate, the pre-incarnate Christ um, because of what is mentioned and what's said uh, about him. Let's turn back to uh, Hebrews again. Chapter 7. So there was one other reference made of um, Melchizedek as well, and that is in Psalm 110.4, where it talks um, about, uh, it says in, in Hebrew, I mean, uh, Psalm chapter 110.4, it says, uh, The Lord hath sworn and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So this was a prophetic reference made by David. So Melchizedek belonged to a a priesthood that was unique in the Bible. And it was far older than the priesthood of Aaron. Aaron, we know, was a a Levite. And Melchizedek's priesthood priesthood is also um, very powerful. It was a powerful priesthood. It was so overwhelming and uh, so indisputable that Abraham acknowledged it instantly. We know that when, he, when the kings came out to meet uh, Abram after he uh, defeated the, uh, the, the kings and brought back all the spoils and brought back Lot and all the other people, he, can't, he, he didn't have any respect at all for the king of Sodom and the other kings. He had no respect for them. But when the king, uh, the king of Salem came out, who was Melchizedek, instantly and completely Abraham recognized who he was. And what did he do? He gave him tithes. No Hebrew, uh, and he, because he was a priest and a king, um, no Hebrew held that position of Hebrew, uh, of, of king and a priest. There has never been. And one man tried it. That was King Uzziah. And uh, he was struck with leprosy because he went into the temple, tried to offer incense on the altar of incense. And uh, as he was in the temple... Leprosy broke out on him, and they threw him out of the temple. He never went back into the temple again, and he eventually, of course, died <coughs> of, of leprosy. So um, Israel's kings um, were descended from Judah. So that would have excluded the Lord Jesus Christ because it was Judah, and the priests were from Levi. So um, think of how God designed this uh, priesthood that new superior priesthood was planted in the days of Abraham, who was brought into subjection to it. And just think about this. When Abraham 
gave tithes to Melchizedek. He not only brought himself into subjection to that, but the entire unborn race also gave tithes, which proved the superiority of that um, priesthood. So Jesus Christ is a priest forever because he is unhindered and unlimited and he has the power and vitality of an endless life. When you look at, at um, in Hebrews, it says that um, Melchizedek had, uh, it says here in, in chapter three, uh, 7, verse 3, it says, um, to, uh, let's go back to 2, verse 2. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. A perfect picture of, of um, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was not only uh, he was a king of um, righteousness, but also the king of peace, king of Salem, a peace. Because Salem means peace. It says here, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Does that mean that um, Abraham, I mean Melchizedek was never born? And never died. No, it doesn't mean that. What he's talking about is that there is no genealogy of this man. He appeared and then he was gone off the scene. He never had any genealogy at all. It's not revealed to us what it is. And that is why uh, um, it talks about that. Uh, and the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, we know is uh, lives forever. And uh, he is a priest after because God promised that. Um, we must remember that the um, the Aaronic priests, the priests which came from Levi, <coughs> were um, grew feeble, and they died. So they were limited in 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 the thing. But Jesus, He conquered death, and all of its powers, and lives forever in a power of an endless life. And um, He is a priest now, forever after the order of Melchizedek. And the thing is that. The priesthood of the, uh, the uh, um, of Aaron and and the uh, and the others, they uh, they were their pr- uh, priesthood was not made with an oath. They were made under the law. The law uh, made them priests, but it was not continual. It wasn't a perpetual priesthood. But the uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, that priesthood of uh, of Melchizedek, was made with an oath. And that was the only one that was ever made with an oath. Yet the, the, we know that the others were not. The Old Testament priest was inducted without an oath. It was a hereditary thing. And there was no pledge that it would uh, um, continue forever. So Jesus was inducted by a singular oath. His priesthood is forevermore and a better priesthood. So um, the thing is, if we look at uh, um, Hebrews chapter 10, let's have a look quickly there. In verse 1, it says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which were offered year by year continually make the comers there unto perfect. You know, I like uh, John Phillips, what he said about uh, chapter 10, verse 1. He says that the law was a shadow of good things to come, not the very image. So the Israelites only had shadows. Not the substance. The substance was the Lord Jesus Christ. The shadow of a key, he says, cannot unlock a prison door. What an interesting statement. 
The shadow of a meal cannot satisfy a hungry man. Quite an interesting thing that, isn't it? And the shadow of Calvary cannot take sin, sin away. So this uh, um, uh, in Hebrews always talks about better things. And we know that the priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He has gone into the Holy of Holies for us and he is, his blood was shed for us just as those priests went in all every time. But they, it never ever took away sin. It couldn't take away sin. It says, for the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. But Jesus hoped all his sacrifice, one sacrifice forever. So that's why the wherefore is therefore. I hope that was reasonably clear. But we know that Jesus Christ is a priest forever. And because he is a priest forever, he is able to uh, save us to the uttermost that come unto him by God. Wouldn't you say these days that there's a lot of confusion and <clears throat> about spiritual matters? Um, many people have no understanding of what the truth is about God's way of saving a human soul. In fact, uh, ask about a dozen people and you'll often get a dozen different answers back. Um, people often produce all kinds of ideas. You think of an atheist, you ask an atheist, and uh, he'll say there is no God. There is no such thing as sal- salvation. We don't need to be saved at all. Yet um, the Bible says that uh, the fool is said in his heart there is no God. And um, it's just a, a foolish statement to say that there is no God. Because um, are you 100% sure about that? You know, um, uh, we've asked many times when we've been out knocking on doors and we'll say, um, well, um, how much, what do you know? How much do you think of all that's in the universe? How much do you think that you know? And then people will say, oh, I don't know, 10% or 5%. Even 5% is a lot, you know. How much do we all know? We know very little, really. So they'll, they'll say, well, don't you think in the other 95% there's a chance that God could exist? You know, um, people just don't understand. They, they think they know everything, but they don't know anything, really. You know, um, so atheist, atheism is, a bit, is such a foolish thing. And also, it's, it's a form of belief, isn't it? It's, you have to have faith. I, you know, when um, I've been reading books, and I know all of us have, have looked, that um, creation is incredible. <coughs> You've got to look at a, um, a single human cell which is so complex and, and uh, it's, it's beyond belief. You know, we, we, we just don't really understand. And so minute a little, a little thing. And um, they say that the, the DNA strand inside a cell is six feet long. If you laid it out, it would be six feet long. That is an incredible thing. They say that if you could lay all of the um, strands of, of DNA from a, a, a human body, and every cell, and you laid it length in, it would be billions and billions of miles long. I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? I mean, it's just un- unbelievable. And it would take, for me, it would take more faith to believe that we came from a piece of mud. I mean, it just doesn't make sense, does it? So there's the atheist, but there's also a moralist. And a moralist will say, 
You have to be good. You've got to be a good person. Yeah, we know what the Bible says. There's none good. No, not one. There's none righteous. No, not one. Ask a religionist and he'll say, do what the church tells you. Just be a good person and you'll be saved. Ask a legalist and he'll say, keep these rules. And do as you're commanded by the pastor and, he, and you'll be saved. You ask a, name, a man named Paul, the apostle, who used to fit into three of these things. We know that Paul was a moralist. He was a, religion, a religionist. He was a legalist. He said, um, according to the law, I'm blameless. He thought he was perfect. But what did he say when, he was, uh, when the Philippian jailer fell down at his feet? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's what he said. Ask Jesus and he'll say you must be born again. So this verse in Hebrews 7.25 tells us the true plan, uh, truth about God's plan of salvation. It tells us how it works and what it does for the sinner and the saint and it sets the record straight. It teaches us the truth that we mustn't miss. The verse teaches us that those who grasp the truth about how God's plan works are saved to the uttermost. Think about that. Saved to the uttermost. That is the absolute pinnacle. When you get to the top of Mount Everest, there's nowhere else to go. We are way higher up than that. You can't get any higher. We are saved to the uttermost. So I'm going to look at uh, three little things here. Um, the first one is God's plan to save. It was a costly plan. Them that come. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many a payment. Ransom is something that is a payment for a release of a slave, basically. Because we are slaves to sin before we're saved. The Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth in the form of a servant. If you remember these verses, if you want to memorize verses, memorize this. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to, robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name, which is above every name, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth and that every knee should bow it's going to come one of these days every knee and every mouth is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord but it was a costly plan he became obedient unto death look at Isaiah 53 <clears throat> surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we did esteem him stricken smitten of God and afflicted but he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement for our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So then the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross. Where he paid the ransom price in blood. 
that sinners might be saved. What an incredible thing. I'm surprised when um, a Jewish person would read this verse. I have a feeling it's probably a banned verse in the Bible for them. Because when they read that, how they cannot see the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know how it is. But it's because of their blindness. Yeah, yep, exactly. So, you know, it's, it's... it's quite incredible that. So it was a costly plan. It was a completed plan. John, in, uh, if anybody knows these verses, you, you can say these words with me. John 19.30 When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. <coughs> You know that God's plan needs no revision. It's completed. It's not like us. We need to be um, uh, update our uh, software sometimes with the computer. God's plan doesn't need to be updated. We sometimes have to update our uh, wardrobe. Not me. I don't. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, I've still got the same clothes I had years and years ago. So, But um, we know the ladies like to update their wardrobe. Yeah. <laughs> so, But God's plan doesn't need to be re, uh, uh, um, re-updated or anything. God's plan never needs to be re- revised, never needs to, needs to be redone, never needs to be repaired. It's complete. It's finished. The plan is finished forever. In Hebrews 9.12 it says neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once uh, entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. You know that when the high, the high priest had to go in um, once a year, first he had to, he was the only one that was allowed into the, the tabernacle at the time. But when he, they brought to him a, a, a there was bull, which he had to provide. Then there was uh, uh, two kids, goats, kids uh, from a goat, uh, the goats that had to be um, bought by the people. They were for the people. Then there was a ram, which the ram was for burnt offering. They had to be offered. But interestingly, the, the priest, he had, a, had to bring a bigger sacrifice for him and his family first. Then they would kill the 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 the, the bull, and, and he would take the blood. But before he took the blood, somebody would be outside probably stirring the blood so it didn't get um, thicken up, coagulate. And then he would go in. He would take coals from off of the altar, put them in the censer, and he would take a handful of um, incense. Then he would go into the veil. And he would put the incense onto the censer and the smoke would cover the mercy seat. Because he couldn't look on it and, and otherwise he would die. And then once he had done that, he would have to go outside, get the blood, come in and sprinkle the blood before the mercy seat and on the mercy seat. Then he would have to go out again, then kill the, the kid goat, the one goat. Because they had drew lots. One was a scapegoat and one was the, the goat for the Lord. And then 
take that blood from that goat, go back in again, off, pour the sprinkle the blood onto the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. Then he would go out after he'd done that. Then he would go to the uh, altar and take the blood of the, of the bull and of the um, goat and then sprinkle that on the horns of the, of the altar to cleanse the tabernacle and everything in there. Then take the other uh, goat, lay his hands on that goat that, be, that was to be released, the scapegoat, and then the scapegoat would be released, taken by a fit man, out into the wilderness and left out there. What a thing. A lot of stuff to do. And, and that had to be done all the time. It couldn't be done just once. If it, that's why it wasn't perfect. Because if it had, had been done once and, and that was it, then fine. But it was a continual remembrance of sin. But then when Jesus went into the uh, tabernacle, into the Holy of Holies, he went with his own blood. And what an incredible thing that is, that never again will Jesus have to enter into that place. Not every year, like those priests had to go. And that continual remembrance of sin, yet Jesus washed our sins away forever. What an incredible thing. So it's a perfectly, it's a completed uh, um, uh, thing. It's not... Uh, the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. But he, by his own blood, it says here, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So it's a perfect plan, it's a complete plan, and it will bring salvation to all those who receive it by faith. It's a very simple plan, and it's so simple, in fact, that many stumble right over it. The plan is so simple. Let's have a quick look at, he, uh, at uh, Romans just go back a little bit. Let's go to Romans and just have a look at something here. Uh, where are we? Um, Romans 10. Let's go to Romans 9. Rom- Romans 10, I beg your pardon. Romans chapter 10. Okay, it says, um, Romans chapter 10. It says, Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the depth, into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. This is verse uh, 6, and I'm beyond verse 7 now. So, um, Who shall uh, uh, descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead? But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth. Word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thine heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Now, what is being said here is that we don't have to go into heaven. We don't have to go to the depths of uh, of, of hell or, or to the heights of heaven. It's just that's trying to work your way to heaven. But it says here that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And in verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a simple plan. It's a matter of 
believing that we're a sinner and accepting uh, the salvation that God offers, just simply uh, uh, accepting it and believing it. And that's where the st- uh, the, why the Jews and, and people stumble over it. They think it's just too easy. Naaman did it. When Elisha said to him, go and wash in the, in the Jordan, didn't even come out to him. He said, go and wash in the Jordan. And he was mad. <laughs> uh, he was angry because, why, what's wrong with the rivers where I am? Why should I go into the Jordan and wash? And then his men said to him, Master, if, if he had said you to do some hard thing, wouldn't you have done it? And then he said, well, go and just what, do what he says. Go into the river and wash seven times. And he did, and he was healed. But we always want something, we want to try something harder, you know. We've got to do something. I mean, we can't, it can't be just for nothing. But it is, it's a gift. God said that his salvation is a free gift. We just have to simply believe and accept it. If I offer you a gift, what do you do? You've got to receive it. It's simple. Simple as that. And it says here, in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. In 1 Corinthians 1.23 and 24 it says, But we preach Christ crucified, unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So it's a completed plan. It's also a controversial plan, to say the least. <laughs> We've got to say this, it, is a, it is controversial. I've listened to many people, uh, and, 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 and in particular there's one uh, talk show host in America, um, famous woman. Um, she kind of refused to accept that uh, Jesus is the only way. But he is. The Bible is clear. John fourteen six. Jesus said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So it's so controversial because the plan is so narrow. It's a narrow plan. Um, in fact, it's so narrow that God only knows one way for sinners to be saved. And that is through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12, remember when Peter was facing the Sanhedrin and all of the people all of the, and the, the priests, and he said, Neither is there salvation in any, other, in, in, in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other name. You know, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I've heard a story that um, when Buddha was uh, uh, on, his, uh, on his last legs, he said, um, I'm still searching for the way. Yet Jesus came and said, I am the way. So there's no plan B. There's no alternative. There's nothing else for those who believe differently. There's no plan. There's only one plan for all men to go to heaven. And if we're going to go to heaven, it'll be through the, His plan. No other plan. God doesn't care how good you may be. Salvation is not merited by works. Remember the verse, Ephesians 2, 8 and, verses two, uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. 
is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There'd be no boasting in heaven about how good we are. God is not impressed by anyone's sincerity. Salvation doesn't come to those who mean well. There's only one way to be saved, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. So you see the plan. Now you see now as uh, God's power to save. In uh, that verse it says He is able to save them. He is able. So He has power to call on you. Bible says in John 6:44, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. So God has the power to reach into the darkness of the human heart and the soul to show the sinner that he has a need for God. Now each one of us, we've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a time in our life when somebody came and told us about the Lord Jesus Christ. And who sent him? God sent him. Obviously, because he's sent, giving a message, calling you, hey, would you accept my, my offer of salvation? Sadly, some don't offer, uh, take that offer. I know we've been to many doors and offered the salvation. Many people will say, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, not, not, not right now. I don't want to, don't want to do it. Um, but we knocked on many, many doors in, in uh, Kirby, in Melling, in this area, we've knocked on hundreds and hundreds of doors. And um, the response has been quite... We haven't had any bad uh, experiences, really, come to think of it. No, no, um, nobody's uh, threatened us with anything. But, um, oh, I don't have the time. Or... Um, can I tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ? I've got the Bible I can show you. Uh, I've got to go to work now. I'm sorry. It's nearly tea time or nearly lunch time. Sorry, we, I haven't got time. People just don't seem to have the time. People are being called. God is sending a messenger to them, but not, not accepting it and turning away from it. So he has the power, though, to, to, do, to do it. People just don't wake up one day and um, say, oh, I think I'm going to get saved today. You know, God is the one who draws people to him. Salvation is a result of God's power being exerted on your behalf before the foundation of the world. He provided a saviour. He sent his spirit into the world to do the work of conviction. In John chapter 16, it talks about the Holy Spirit being the convict, uh, the one who convicts of sin. If you want to look at John, uh, John chapter 16, where um, Jesus said that he is going to send the Holy Spirit. It's John chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but I depart. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And where he, when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So we see that uh, the Holy Spirit convicts of uh, sin. Why? Because people don't believe in him. thing is, uh, the Lord Jesus loved us. 
when we are unlovable. I want to turn to a couple of verses which, uh, uh, which shows us that. Romans chapter 5. And I'm, I'm sure many, many a time you've heard this, these, this verse and the ones that precede it. Romans chapter 5 <coughs> and uh, we'll start here at um, verse 7 it says here for scarcely for a righteous man will one die yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die isn't that true now, if somebody is a really good person some people might be prepared to die for them, give their life. <coughs> like I'm pretty sure you'd be prepared to give your life for a loved one. Many of us would be prepared to give our lives. And even for, even for a stranger, if they're very good, some people have done that. And then God gives us that contrast here. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Would you be prepared to die for a rotter? Somebody who's, there's very few people would want that, yet Christ died for us. And we're all sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Read Romans chapter 1 and see what men are like. Just, uh, just totally wickedness, total wickedness. I'm just gonna have a look at something here. Um, yeah, it says, "For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God." Listen to this here. For they're all gone out of the way; they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulchre; with their tongues have used deceit. Poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Feet are swift to shed blood, and destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And there's man. There's man for you. Unlovable. Yet God loved us. <laughs> oh, it's, it's an incredible thing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Not only has the power to um, call us, he has the power to cleanse you. In 1 John 1, 7 it says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Christ, Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's in 1 John 1, 7. So when God's plan is received, his power moves in the heart and does a cleansing work whereby every stain and blemish is of sin is forever removed from your life. It's a new birth. The moment you get saved, you're washed clean. The very moment. Yesterday, with all this pain, and the failures and the sin and the shortcomings are gone forever, having been washed whiter than snow in the precious blood of the Lamb. 
Now, I'm not saying we don't sin. But that moment we get saved, we are washed clean. But being what we are, we are going to sin. But I thank the Lord that He's in the Holy of Holies making intercession for me. It says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What an incredible thing that is. Revelation 1.5 says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Psalm 103.12 As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. In Isaiah 38.17 Behold, for peace I have great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption, for thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. What an incredible thing. What a wonderful thing it is to know that the Lord has forgiven us, that we have eternal life with him. The alternative is terrible. I... I, I when I think it brings me tears to my eyes from my loved ones who have gone without knowing Lord Jesus Christ because I know what the end is and it's awful to think we need to be uh, ready to share the gospel with anybody we can hell is waiting it's one breath away if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ you've got to trust him not only has the power to cleanse but he has the power to change you Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So we've talked about God's powers. It works in the past and, and how it works in the recess of the heart. But his power all, 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 also manifests itself, manifests itself in, the, in a person's life. You see, you can't enter into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and remain the same as you were before. He changes your heart. He wants to give you, he wants to make you like he is. He wants us to be like him. To live a life that is pleasing to him. And he changes people. Look at the blind man in John chapter 9. After Jesus put clay on his eyes and remember the, went and, and went and washed in the pool and came seeing. And then everybody was saying, oh, let's take him to the priests and see. And, and took him to the priests and uh, they said, uh, how did you uh, get your sight? He said, oh, a man named Jesus made clay and put it on my eyes. They didn't say, they didn't say oh, that's amazing. What did they say? This man can't be uh, of God. He, he, he's, uh, uh, he did this on the Sabbath day, made clay on the Sabbath day. A little bit of clay. Oh, it's working. So he can't be, he's a sinner. He's instead of standing and saying, well, what a marvelous thing, they couldn't see it. They couldn't see it. It had changed his life when Jesus, when he was thrown out of the, the synagogue and, and Jesus found him. He says, um, do you believe on the Son of God? He says, who is he, Lord, that I can believe in him? He says, it, it's me. Then he fell down and worshipped him. Changed lives. Bartimaeus, when Jesus walked past and he shouted, 
Jesus, thou son of David, help me. And through Jesus stopped and beckoned, called him. He threw off his most valuable thing that he had and ran to Jesus. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do? He says that I might receive my sight. And then Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. And he could see. And what did he do? He followed Jesus straight away. Glorifying God. What an amazing thing. Think of the adulterous woman in John chapter 8. All the lepers, Mary Magdalene, and all the millions through the ages who will testify to the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ has changing power. Anyone, if they're saved, will testify to the changing power of the Lord Jesus Christ. He changes lives. We know what we were before we got saved. I know what I was. And I don't remember being interested in God in any way whatsoever. I remember the pastor that led me to Jesus. <coughs> Wednesday, uh, Wednesday night, probably about 8 o'clock, it was on the 31st of October 1981, which is close to nearly 40 years this coming. In, in 2021, it's 40 years I've been saved. I remember that man. Um, when he spoke to me and, and shared the gospel with me. What an incredible night and how it changed my life. How he said to me, he says, you were the one I least expected to be saved out of all the people that were in our group of people. I had hair down here and he says, says you're the one I least expected. He says, the others I thought would be but you I didn't expect that the Lord changes people's lives makes a difference you know you heed the gospel you hear the message and you get you, you, and you trust in him he'll change your life for sure you'll have a new desire you want to read his word you want to hear what he's got to say you want to know what, what he's like and people say you can't see Jesus oh you can yeah you can see him you can see him in, his word, in the word here what he's like, you know, what a marvelous thing when the day when we see, meet him face to face. What an incredible thing. God's promise to save. In Hebrews uh, uh, chapter 725, <coughs> it says here, He is able to save. This is the last one that we'll be looking at. The promise in the word. To save means to keep safe and sound, to rescue from danger and destruction. That is what Jesus does when he saves souls. He saves us from the deadness, firstly the deadness of our sin. Did you know that the Bible says in Ephesians 2.1, it says, You hath he quickened who are dead in trespasses and sins. Do you remember the time when you were dead? I remember. I remember when I didn't think about God at all. And that's why when, when I think, uh, uh, I'm, I'm so glad that I can, uh, uh, once I'm saved, I'm always saved. I can't lose my salvation. Because if I, to go back to that is one of my worst nightmares. It would be the worst nightmare you could ever think of. Where you just don't have that consciousness. You don't have a consciousness of God. It's, it's, 
you, you can say, I remember, before I was saved, I, I used to um, think, I thought I believed in God. I was brought up in a, in a Catholic home. Yet in the Catholic home, I never heard the gospel. I never heard uh, uh, people say um, that you need to trust and accept the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. I never heard that. Nobody told me that. Until a man in 1981 told me that I was a sinner and I needed to be saved. I never heard that until he told me. So we were, I was dead in trespasses and sins. And what else? The wrath of God in Romans 5.9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him and the torments. Just think about that. We are saved from the torment, the, the deadness of our sins and from the wrath of God and the torments of hell. What about a wasted life? Think of Luke 16, chapter uh, 16, verse 19 through 31, Lazarus and the rich man. He had everything. What shall it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? What good is that? What a waste. He had everything. And yet he had nothing. You know, I remember a story. I remember that um, a rich guy. He became a recluse. Um, I think his name was Howard Hughes. He was a famous uh, um, aviator. <clears throat> I think they made a film about it. And somebody asked one day, he says, um, how much did um, Howard Hughes leave? What did he leave? Yeah, thinking about his money. What did he leave? What did he leave behind? He left it all. He left it all. All that money, all those billions, whatever it was, couldn't take it with him. He left it all. What a thing! A wasted life. What about self-destruction and self-deception? In Proverbs 16.25 it says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Men think they're going the right way, but they're not. When God saves a soul, he does it right. And they're safe and sound. They're delivered. And they're saved. So you see the promise... Of his, in his word, the promise in, in his work. John 2 2 says, And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is our intercessor. That is, he stands in, in heaven, uh, stands in for us in heaven. The word literally means to fall in with. This is a picture of one who comes alongside to help in times of distress. So Jesus is in heaven. And he's the perfect representative of the human race because he's a man. And if Jesus never became a man, we wouldn't, how could we relate? How could he relate to us? Yet, it's interesting that um, there had to be a mediator. Remember Job, what he said? Oh, that there were a daysman betwixt us that he could lay our hand, his hand on us both. Now, we know that there's a great drift between us and God. 
there had to be a mediator. But the mediator couldn't be anyone less than God himself. He couldn't be a mediator. He couldn't mediate for, between us and God. He had to be God. <laughs> so he is our mediator. So he's a, uh, our intercessor. Um, so uh, Jesus is our man. Our man. He is a perfect representative of the human race. He occupies his place at the Father's right hand to ensure that we have the resources we need to make it through that journey here. Jesus is our advocate in heaven. So we can have absolute assurance that someday we are going to be with him in heaven. And the promise of his will. In John chapter 6, verse 37 through 40, it says that all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I will come down from heaven. I came down from heaven not to do my, mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is my Father's will. Which he hath sent me, which hath sent me, that all of which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but that should that I should that but should raise it up at, again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one that seeth the Son and believeth on him, may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So we are saved to the uttermost. That word uttermost means completely, perfectly, utterly, and forever. It gives the image of eternal salvation. In fact, Jesus himself told us that it was the Father's will to get us, uh, get us all home. In John 6.37, which we've just read. Jesus said it, uh, um, uh, it was his will also. In John 17.24, Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou hast loved me before the foundation of the world. What I'm saying is that if you truly are saved, then you're saved to the uttermost. You're going to heaven and nothing's going to stop it. You will go to heaven. Romans, who, who can quote these verses? <coughs> I hope you try and uh, do it. I, I, I've tried to memorize them and I think I've got it right. But it's in Romans chapter 8 and it's verse 38 and 39 where Paul says, I am persuaded neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord well, I think it's our Saviour I think, I think I've got it right <laughs> so nothing can separate us from him from uh, God and uh, it says neither any other creation that means you you can't separate yourself. We are in his hand and we are in God's hands. You can never fall out. I don't think you can fall out. I know some people have said that. What happens if I fall out? No. You can't do it. So many people find fault with Baptists because we talk about eternal security. We believe in the security of the believer. Once a person believes and trusts in Christ, we are forever saved. You cannot lose your salvation. Because we are not kept by our power. We are kept by God's power, not by ours. So he is able to save to the uttermost all who come to him through the Lord Jesus. The whole point of this portion of Hebrews is to show how the Lord Jesus Christ is our high priest. 
and absolutely superior to the Old Testament priesthood. The Old Testament priesthood was temporary. Man could only serve until he died. Jesus has already gone through death and he'll never die again. Remember in Revelation chapter 1 verse 18, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. The Old Testament priest could save no one. Our text tells us that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. And Jesus has the power that no earthly priest can ever have. Jesus has the power to save. The Old Testament priest, his work was never, uh, never finished. It was every year he had to do the same thing and he died and then somebody would take over from him. His work was never finished yet the Lord Jesus Christ said it is finished. His work on the cross is finished and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 10.12 says, But this man after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down on the right hand of God. So the Old Testament priest could enter into the presence of God only once a year then only with blood. And Jesus continually abides in his Father's presence as a representative of all the redeemed. What an incredible God we have. I think that's as far as I can go now. And uh, let's have a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the word of God. Thank you for this message. Pray that, Lord, you just bless your people. And thank you so much for your goodness to us. Pray that, Lord, you'd uh, be with us through the rest of this week and keep us uh, the, uh, safe and the Lord, you'd just give us opportunities to share the gospel. And the Lord, uh, someone might hear. And that they also might uh, uh, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Lord, I pray for those who are not here. Pray that you be with David and keep him safe. Uh, give him a blessed time over with his family. Pray that, Lord, you'd encourage him and strengthen him. The Lord, you'd be with those who are hurting. And uh, even those who have um, uh, unnamed uh, requests. Pray that, Lord, you'd meet the needs of your people. We love you and thank you for this time. Pray that we bless our time afterwards in Jesus' name. Amen.